the reason why we focus on those three pillars in general is because we feel like it's the the perfect recipe for children to have a happy, thriving life and a, their best chance at then thriving in adulthood. Welcome to the Good Tidings Podcast, where we highlight and inspire a community of givers with your host, the founder of the Good Tidings Foundation, Larry Harper. Well, hello, Aisha Curry. Hello. (laughs) Welcome to the Good Tidings Podcast. You know, I know with all the good stuff you have going on, and certainly a very important basketball game tonight. I really appreciate <laughs> you making a little time to talk about all the goodness you are creating in your life. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. You know, we met a few years ago, our dear friend and official spokesperson of the Good Tidings Foundation, the late, great Nate Thurmond, his seats were right near yours at Oracle Arena in Oakland. And we had a chance to chat a few times over the years. And then we had a really fortunate opportunity during our 25th anniversary last year. We opened our 200th project, which was a basketball gym refurbishment at the Boys and Girls Club in Richmond with your husband and Chase and the Warriors. And so, you know, we've been surrounded a little bit by the Curries and it's been really fun and we're just excited about what the future brings. But I want to really just dive in on the essence of the podcast, which Two years ago, you and your husband launched Eat, Learn, Play Foundation. And my first question really is, prior to the launch, how long did it really take you to land on the mission, you know, especially those three pillars? Yeah. So I feel like separately, they were always missions that were near and dear to our hearts and initiatives that we were working with other nonprofits on. And so really, I feel like this was 10 years in the making because it just took us to get to the point where we said, okay, we feel confident in the fact that we can do this and do it the right way. So that's really what took us so long was making sure we were doing it the right way. We were truly going to make an impact and that we had the right people behind us to do it. So all three of our pillars are truly things that we've always advocated for on our own. I worked with No Kid Hungry for eight or nine years now. And so childhood hunger has always been something that's been important to me since we started having kids. So, Yeah. And your giving is so multifaceted. Did you realize at the time that these pillars really would overlap and one would serve another in a way? We definitely realized that from the jump. Because the reason why we focus on those three pillars in general is because we feel like it's the perfect recipe for children to have a happy, thriving life and their best chance at then thriving in adulthood. Everything really goes hand in hand. So if you can't eat, you can't learn. And if you can't have a safe place to be active, then that you know plays into the food aspect with childhood obesity and just also getting energy out so that you're able to focus in class. And so everything really just goes hand in hand. It's three such simple things that a lot of people don't realize some children don't have access to, and it's devastating. Yeah, yeah, it really is. I love in your mission statement, one of the the parts of it says that you are creating a new model for a child's success. So really, it seems like it took you a while to launch, like you said, 10 years, but you knew there was a a need for something to be fixed for sure. Yes. Yeah. 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 
And I, I think being in the Oakland community for so long and like really immersing ourselves in the community, we were able to see the gaps and the needs firsthand. So it's been it's been great to tackle it from from the perspective of the people that need help. So really like asking the questions so that we can go about it the most effective way. Yeah. So then you launch it in 2019 and oh my goodness, COVID hits in March. And it's been unfortunate for so many nonprofits and so many of everyone, but nonprofits really got stymied during during COVID. But you saw an opportunity and the number is staggering, 16 million meals, certainly well fulfilling the eat portion of eat, learn, play. So that was quite impressive how that came about. Yeah, we were, I'll never forget it. We are a baby of a nonprofit and we've really had to learn on the job. And I'll never forget our first quarter 2020 board meeting, you know, when there were just whispers of this magical, mysterious virus. I like to stay on top of things like that anytime I hear about them. So I was very engaged in all of the information. And I, I said in the board meeting, I was like, you guys, I just have a feeling that these kids aren't going to have access to their summer programs, their meals. What happens if this thing is real and all that stuff stops? What do we do? And everybody took it very seriously, but of course with a raised eyebrow and then two weeks later, boom. So we actually had a, a what if plan in place and I'm just, I'm so happy we did. And also so grateful. It's not about us, you know, it's, we're dot connectors. Like we're not reinventing the wheel. And so for us, it was about bringing these strategic partners together to help amplify, you know, the help for people. And so I'm grateful to the community for stepping up for one another. I think that's been the most beautiful part of all of this. There seems to be a theme with food that it just doesn't do one thing. And I know you worked with World Central Kitchen. So not only are you feeding children, but then you go through the model of keeping restaurants afloat and, oh, by the way, over 800 restaurant and food service workers get to stay employed during a pandemic. That was such a blessing. Me being in the restaurant business myself, seeing the way that it so quickly impacted this industry to be able to then have them reopen, have them ramp up their staff and people get their jobs back while also helping families in the community. It's like a no brainer. And I think even COVID aside, it's, it's a model that people should continue. And I know we're going to continue just because it, it just, it's, it's so cyclical and makes sense. And is such a good ecosystem for keeping things going, especially for the small, small business. Yeah, for sure. And you mentioned your, in your professional life, you know, you have restaurant ownership, best-selling cookbooks. Uh, where did the roots for this food passion come from? Does it go way back to childhood? It does. So I, I've always loved to cook. Always. I, I would prepare dinner for my family at like the age of 12 just because I thoroughly enjoyed it. But I didn't know it was something I could make a career out of. There was no representation in, at the time of somebody like myself doing that that was visible enough for me to see that that was an option for me. So I figured it out later in life. But I really fell in love with it because I realized how it brings people together. It's like a vessel for change. It's a vessel for communication. And like, it is the one thing, even though we might have differences, the one thing I think that every human on earth can agree on is that food is amazing and 
that it gets us together and we all have to eat. So I love that constant yeah, about it. Yeah, that's very well said. And I know last month you testified in front of Congress on childhood hunger. And how did that come about? And what change do you hope to see from that opportunity that was given to you? One of the most nerve-wracking moments of my <laughs> life, for sure. I'd never been in a position like that before. It was very intimidating. But I was happy to lend my perspective and thoughts. And it was really interesting. Everybody was so receptive. And I never expected a meeting like that to go that way. I, I, I expected people to have differences of opinions. And thankfully, that was not the case with this. And so the goal of that hearing was to state the facts and, and tell the stories of the people that have been experiencing this devastation and to fight for Congress to continue these meal programs through both the school year and the summer. And I think that they were extremely receptive. So it's pretty exciting. Yeah, that's big stuff for sure. And now switching over to the learn pillar and you guys have chosen it for it to be literacy, which yes. I personally love because there's so much attention given to the STEM world and science and technology and math. And I just I just think reading is so important and writing and everything that comes with that. It's almost an artistic form. And I know it's hard to, sometimes it's hard to quantify its success, but I, I love the fact that you're tackling that. And that must have been important for you guys also. Absolutely. Our goal for this year is to really activate that pillar. And it's devastating. 18%, only 18% of Black and Latino Latinx students are at reading level in the Oakland Unified School District, 18%. That just shouldn't be the case. And it's, again, this domino effect of if you can't, if you don't have the basic literacy skills you need, everything else is going to fall apart. And so let's, our goal is like, let's figure out how to get our hands on these kids at a young age, make sure that they're reading, really encourage them. Even the children that are a little bit older that are already behind, how do we get them up to speed so that we can turn these numbers around? So we have we have a couple of plans in place and some amazing partners that are going to help us, you know, figure this thing out, but something something's got to be done cuz it's 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 terrible. Well, and it's just the like you said it's the basis, you know, of what you need and how you present yourself and how you can convey yourself before you have anything else to give and offer and I just I think if people see hey the curries think it's cool to read, then I think that's a big that's a big influence. I really do. So, I love where you're headed with that. And the other thing that strikes me is certainly being in the nonprofit world, your staff you've assembled at ELP is pretty impressive. I've known many of them in the professional world, from Sydney to Chris and, and others. You dove in, so it wasn't like you, it was a slow ramp. You dove in head first. And I, yeah. I, I think I've read that you and your husband, you fund that part piece of it. So then yes. everything else that's given, and I think that is quite a model. Every donation, every contribution to Eat, Learn, Play goes directly back to the cause. There's no overhead. We take care of all of that. So we really want people to feel confident in the fact that they know that their hard-earned money is going to a good place and is going to the right cause and directly to the kids. So that that was very important to us. But our team, oh my gosh, like they're rock stars. We don't like 
<laughs> Stefan and I look at each other sometimes and we're like, how did we get here? We're, we could not do any of this without them. And Chris and Sydney and Tiffany, the whole team is just, they really make things go. And when you're surrounded by a team of people who are truly passionate about what we're doing and they're so selfless and you know, everybody has a different role, but everybody will roll up their sleeves and be boots on the ground when the, when they need to. I think it's just such a beautiful thing and we feel so blessed. I mean, I'm just, from the outside in, you know, I think you've attracted great people because I think you are kind people. It just comes off, you guys come off as kind people. And I know your husband has this, one of his crazy nicknames is the babyface assassin. <laughs> but he seems like a very kind athlete. And I think that transfers over to being a good giver. I mean, would you agree? I mean, and you absolutely. Yeah. He is he is the kindest soul I've ever met and people like will gag or roll their eyes and be like, "Yeah, right." And I'm like, "No, he really it's yes, it makes me sick <laughs> how nice he is. He's just great and he has an empathetic nature about him and he cares and I think together like our goal has always been we've been so blessed and what a shame it would be if we didn't pay it forward and do our part for our community. So it's always first priority. Yeah. And just even like the other night, the game against the Lakers, and it was a good, everybody knew it was going to be a great game. And I love the best part about the game was the end of the game. And one, LeBron makes a great shot. He pays homage to him on the court right there. You know, it's a tough game. And after the game, he seeks him out and can have a conversation as a human being with a yeah. smile on his face, you know, and it, yeah. and I, and I get it. You've got to be competitive. And the reason I bring this up is because I think this goes to the success of ELP for you guys, because I think you'll attract people and the kindness comes out. You can be a tough athlete, but you also can be kind hearted, yeah. you know? Right. Right. Exactly. And it seems to, you know, I, I've looked on your website. It seems you leverage and challenge your business partners to also step up and be, part of your charity. And I'm sure that thought process, you must think of it very carefully before you sign up to work with somebody on a professional level is that they, Hey, we want you to engage with eat, learn, play. We really do. It's important for us, like from a work perspective to really be partnering with people who want to do right by the community, by us who, you know, have an ethos of positivity and give back. That's very important to us. So we're very strategic when it comes to our partnerships and we feel like that's how it should be. So it just, it works for us and we're super grateful. And do you see like your faith being a big part of wanting or having that desire to serve? Obviously you have the means, but is it a faith-based drivenness for you a little bit? I think so. I think that that's always going to play a part in the decisions that we make. But I think that aside, it's just the desire, like I think about all of the things that are going on in the world right now. And the common factor that I realize is like people sometimes forget that people are people, religion, thoughts, beliefs aside. So I like to come at things from a perspective of like, just be a good human. And I think that that's like our, our motto is like, how can we be a good human today? <laughs> so I think that's where, that's where it really stems from, which I guess is, is faith in itself. So. Well, I guess every great religion should be the faith of it is to serve others and to help others and we're all the yeah. we're all the same and I think if yeah. otherwise it probably wouldn't be a mainstream 
following a religion, but right. I think every, everyone, I think we all in the end want to help everyone. So, and I know, I know much of your work has been kind of geared to the East Bay. Mm-hmm. I mean, how far do you see this potential of eat, learn, play? Will it be all over California, all over the country? What, what, what is your long-term goal? We would love for it to grow, but our goal has always been to do the start small and do the best possible job we can do build out the model make sure sure it works before we scale but that is always the goal i think more so from a perspective of like for instance like what i did with congress so in that sense those bigger picture um issues tackling it that way advocating when it comes to policy and and things like that but People have asked that question a lot, and obviously we would we would love to scale. It's just in due time because we want to make sure we're doing it right, and we don't do we don't do this for us. And so, to scale quickly and then half-ass it like just <laughs> wouldn't be smart. Yeah. So we we really want to make sure that what we're doing works and it's proving to work thus far. But if other people see our model and see that it works we're i mean we're super encouraging of people to to start it in their own communities because why not that's how that's how we're really going to solve all of these issues well and i think I, I tell people that i talk with on this podcast i think it's the influence that you provide and the example you set can be even bigger than your own foundation right right yeah, right, and exactly. and I think that's admirable because it's easy. You could pr- you have all these national partners that are with you, and it's easy to say, "Oh, we're, we're, why aren't you coming here?" And we had the same thing when we started. You know, we built this basketball court with the Warriors, Brookdale Park in Oakland, twenty six years ago, and it was where a lot of the inner city Oakland kids grew up. Many NBA players played on it. And fast forward, we built a hundred courts with the Warriors, and then we've done the same with the Giants and the A's. Incredible, and and. But everybody said immediately, oh, you need to take this to L.A., and then you need to take it to New York. And you can't do that. Now, I think others can, and I'm ha- yes. I'd am love to help you, but you really can't do it at that level and keep the same mojo you have in the one. So yeah. it, it's hard. It's hard to and say. And just the detail and the, you know, so it's like, yeah, we'll let the people in L.A., we'll help them connect the dots. And let the boots on the ground people take it away there. Because only only somebody that's immersed in a community can understand that community. So you never truly understand the need unless you're close to it. And I I really believe that. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think we we had a program where we built, uh, we refurbished CC Sabathia's Little League Field in Vallejo when he hadn't gone to the Yankees yet. And then he started his own charity and goes off to the Yankees. And then, and now he's doing it in, in New York in a big way. So I think there's, I think the influence, I, I tell people, don't be so caught up. You look at the end of the year of what you've accomplished and all the stuff, money you've raised, but the influence to others is even better. Yeah. You've got a new production company that has a female empowerment focus. Can you expand on that? What you're trying yeah. to do there? Yeah, so I launched Sweet July Productions a year and a half ago, and we focus on four key pillars when it comes to the content that we're producing. And it's faith, food, obviously, female empowerment, faith, food, female empowerment. And why am I forgetting my fourth F? <laughs> we, better, we better Google that. I, I, I need another cup of coffee. <laughs> It's family. How could I forget family? So those four things 
are really the basis of what we're producing. And the goal is to just produce positive content that I can watch and enjoy, but I also feel comfortable sharing that with my children. So it's really about, you know, making sure that representation is constantly there. But it's pretty, I mean, those are pretty broad categories. And so we're we're open to, to things as long as they fit into those buckets. We're also a baby of a production company. So it's been, it's been exciting to watch the, the shift month after month. For sure. And are your kids old enough yet to know all the good that their mother and father are doing in the world? I don't think so. Not quite yet. I think our oldest, she's going to be nine in July and she's starting to realize it. We brought them out with us to our last Christmas with the Currys. And so they understand that we're helping the community, but I don't think they will ever understand the magnitude, which is okay because I want them to lean in as much as they can. But we're to the point now where with the girls, because they're a little bit older than our two-year-old, we're going to get them more involved. And so I'm really excited about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a fun way for them to grow up to see that. No question. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been talking with your team at Eat, Learn, Play about my idea of, of refurbishing a neighborhood kitchen with you. And hopefully we can dive into this sometime in the next year or so. What would that mean to you to create and refurbish a kitchen for somebody or some organization in the East Bay? It would be incredible. I mean, the need is there. And just to give people, you know, a happy, healthy, safe environment to prepare meals and to, you know, have a safe place to kind of unload and eat, I think would be so special. And just the ability to have a space where people can learn those basic skill sets, because sometimes that's the issue, right? It's that not having that basic skill set of understanding how to prepare a meal. And so to to have a, a place that could potentially do that, I think would be incredible. Yeah. And I tell people when we, one of our niches is building these amazing spaces, that's the easiest part. So I think what you're saying, which I agree is, is that once it's done, what can people learn and how can they learn? And can young people, I want to see young people get into a kitchen and see that as an avenue for them because college is not for everyone. And there's so many opportunities and, and there's so much out there in the food world now with food network and all these shows and people are so much more conscious of, of Mm -hmm. opportunity that I think obviously feeding kids in the East Bay will be great, but I'm hoping some of these teenagers can get engaged and we can encourage them to move on in the food business. Yep. Yeah. That's the goal. Yeah. That is absolutely the goal. Well, I, I do want to encourage everyone to log on to eatlearnplay.org. I think it's uh, it's wonderful what you're doing. You have a lot of ways for people to get engaged and get involved. You know, I congratulate you on, on what you've launched and, and what you've created in such a short time. And I know there was a 10-year buildup, but it's really been impressive. And I look forward you know, for us to partner together sometime next year and create a kitchen for for people to get active in and, and to help with your pillars. That sounds incredible. I can't wait. And again, we're just, we couldn't do any of this without our partners and the people that really make make the train go. So we're we're just always grateful. And we hope that we keep this going and, and things just get bigger and better. Yeah, well... Best to you and your husband. We're hoping we're all everybody I know is helping for a a longer season, but have a wonderful summer and we look forward to uh, engaging soon with you on some projects. I can't wait. Thank you. All right.
have just enjoyed an episode of the Good Tidings Podcast, highlighting the goodness in people. To learn more about and to support the Good Tidings Foundation, log on to goodtidings.org. This monthly program is brought to you by the generosity of responseresponsibility.org. Don't miss out on the Good Tidings Podcast by reviewing and subscribing to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.